0: guys my guest tonight gina rock is the longest flying tenured tinkerbell at disneyland and she's here to share her story with us see you in about five minutes everyone welcome to california haunts radio my name is charlotte i'm going to be your host for the next hour i'm also the owner of the california haunts paranormal investigation team based out of sunny sacramento california we are 45 strong up and down the state which means if you think you might have a paranormal thing going on we can get you it might take us a couple one or two days because california is a huge state you know so uh but but we will get you help in fact if if that's the case, then I have uh, mediums and psychics on staff who can phone you and talk to you about what uh, possibly is going on in, in, in your home or business. And in most cases, they can calm things down before we get out there. All right, but we will get you help. All right, help is on the way. Anyway, again, my name is Charlotte, and uh, I'm excited about tonight's show. I'm a Disney adult, always have been a Disney adult. And to be able to do a show like this with Tinkerbell, Gina Rock, just really, really excites me. So first, before we get started, I want to tell you a few things. If you're watching from Facebook and you like what you see tonight, please feel free to hit those like buttons and the smiley faces and the thumbs up buttons. The reason why is because there's an algorithm on Facebook and the more of those that you put up. The further up we go out in the algorithm, which means that more people will see the show, because if you don't get that kind of thing, it kind of sits stagnant, pretty much where it is. But by doing those, doing that step, it gets out to more people. The same thing with YouTube. You know, if you're watching from YouTube and you like what you see, seen here tonight, be sure to put a thumbs up, a uh, heart, smiley face, whatever, to get us up higher in the algorithm, because it, it does help, and it's been helping a lot. I see a lot of changes. When I go into my uh, analytics, like on YouTube, and then I see you know what's going on, so those those, those 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 things actually do help. Anyhow, also before I forget, if you're also watching from Facebook and you haven't done so already, and you want to, feel free to follow on YouTube. If you haven't done so already, check out the YouTube page. We have 621. Shows over there and there are all kinds of topics. I'm a journalist photojournalist and so I hate covering paranormal topics 24 7 So I will vary it like tonight's guest being being the, the longest tenured flying Tinkerbell I like to do all kinds of stuff all kinds of different sort of stuff to cover so check it out because There's a whole menagerie and I'm sure there's something that you'll find that you like and what I've done because I know it can be confusing you know you go in and you look and you see a ton of uh, so I call them stories kind of a journalist. Uh, you, you, see, you see a ton of shows there, and it, it can really do things with your mind. So what I've done is I've taken a lot, of, the majority of the shows. I'm still in the process of doing it. I've taken the majority of the shows, and I have made them, put them in categories. So if you want to, like, uh, see Nancy Matz's show, you find the Nancy Matz file. If you're into aliens and contactees, you can find the alien and contactee file. So it makes it a lot easier for you. right and once you do that if you like what you saw you you like the page and i'm also really active on the on the community page as well please subscribe because we have a lot going on on this team you know i I teach psychic development classes i teach all kinds of stuff i I take people on ghost hunts so we're we're a real active uh, group here so that way you'll get notification when something comes up including the videos so please subscribe all right and again, if you're watching and you like what you see and there's other people in your house or in your car and you want to let them know about us, just tell them to come on and, and listen. OK, just say, hey, there's, the, there's this little radio show out of Sacramento and it's a pretty good radio show. Come on and listen. OK, that's all I ask. All right. That being said, my guest tonight, Gina Rock, grew up like a lot of us, except for except that. In her case, her mother got her into ballet when she was six uh, six years old. And she did ballet all the way until she was 12. But you know what? I might screw the story up. So I'm going to let her tell you her story. So without further ado, Gina Rock.
1: I met Bob Yerkes, as I stated, and I met him at my gym in high school. And he just happened to live not even a mile from my home where where my parents, where I grew up. So I used to take my bike over there and ride up there and start playing around on the apparatus to Bob (laughs) Yerke's yard. And there was so many exciting people there. There was Hollywood stuntmen and there was circus reformers and everybody was sharing in their talents and We were trying all different kinds of things. I was doing high falls and learning how to throw a knife and jumping on the trampoline and Bob Yerke's uh, wife taught me how to do aerial ballet, which was very difficult. Now that was on the soft rope. In today's world, they have the silk. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I had a soft rope was what they call it. And I learned how to do aerial ballet and it was very difficult. I had to keep climbing the rope in order to get my strength. And I thank God I took ballet because I had all of the form in order to pull it off um, and be balletic in the air, which I hated my mom for putting me in ballet because it's very disciplined. But so grateful later, I'll, I'll never forget thanking her profusely for putting me in ballet because it was such a great asset to have that form in the earth. So, yeah, that's uh, that's how I started.
0: It's a fascinating story. And I, and I heard, and I, and I briefly heard on the interview I listened to last night, how you became, how you decided to become Tinkerbell. Can you tell everybody about that?
1: So... I, when I was about 17, I, I went, you know how they have grad nights at, mm-hmm. at Disneyland. Okay. So I went with a date. I still remember his name. His name was Mitch. He was a surfer, he, mm-hmm. long blonde hair. Anyway, we, we went to grad night. I think I was 16. He was 17. He was getting ready to graduate. That's when everybody was graduating from high school mm-hmm. early, like 17 and a half. So we went and I remember, you know, we went on all the rides and everything, and we're leaving on, we're walking down Main Street to go back to the car. And he says, oh, oh, quick, turn around. You gotta watch this. And I'm like, okay. So I turn around and he goes, watch what happens. I said, oh, fireworks. And he said, not just that, watch what happens. So all of a sudden I see Tinkerbell, Flying off the Matterhorn, and I was so excited. I can remember turning to my date and saying, I would love to do that. And, of course, I didn't even know at that point that I was going to be joining the circus. So I was 16 at that time, and I don't even believe I was in Bob Yerkey's backyard yet. So if you want to go with the little premonition stuff, then that was a premonition that I had for my life. And it planted the seed for later. I mean, that seed was there and it didn't grow until after I joined the circus. And then I actually ended up meeting Judy Kay's ex-husband, because I performed for him at a circus. And I went after the Tinkerbell job when she was taken out for seven years in order to build fantasy land. So that seed was planted very, very early. And I believe, I'm a bit of a, I'm actually of the science mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all about science and facts and, and theories. But for me, I have a little bit of that twinge of, you know, being a fatalist. Mm-hmm. So, you, mm-hmm. you know, your show is appropriate because I kind <laughs> of understand and correlate, you know, not just science, but wow, you know, this has really happened to me. And, and then I'll, you know, slate it as a premonition. Uh, the science part of me doesn't allow that, but you know, I go with it. Right. So I used I used to book a lot of variety entertainers. I was a a talent agent for twenty eight years and I booked nothing but variety performers, um bands as well, and actors and actresses. But my my favorite division of my of my company, Worldwide Acts, was the variety performers, which also included psychics. Cool. And at one point I had to book 30 psychics for a Queen Mary event. And I'm sure you know that the Queen Mary has been stated that it's haunted. Right. So, you know, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what you know about that. What do you know about that?
0: Well, I know I had an experience on there. (laughs) Oh, you did. Okay.
1: I want to hear it.
0: Before I was a ghost hunter, officially, I, I, I was into paranormal, obviously. Or I wouldn't have gotten into ghost hunting. And we went ahead uh, to a trip to Disneyland and then headed to the Queen Mary for, you know, just to check it out. And we went on the silly ghost tour that they have, you know, where they have everything rigged up, like the doors open and closed and all that. And my friend and I were walking through one of the dining salons on the Queen Mary. And all of a sudden I felt really sick to my stomach. And I had to sit down and the the, the tour guide walked over and said, well, what's wrong? And I said, well, I just something, I felt like something went through me because I was walking and my stomach did a flip and that was it. And so I was sitting down and he says, well, there's a little girl over (laughs) here that fell overboard and she likes to, you know, I guess she's trying to find her mother or whatever. So she likes to, um, touch, touch, touch women that come on the tour or, or go through or hug or, or whatever she does. So it was pretty cool. You know, to have that because uh, that's what I call getting goose by a ghost is you could sit there and you're during an investigation or when you're doing the post part to show people, you know, the evidence you get, and then all of a sudden your stomach flips because something goes through you.
1: Wow. That's um, when I had booked the psychics on, on the tour uh, for one of those, for one of those events, Mm -hmm. they told me the same thing that when they went into the pool area, there was one gal. I had booked her quite a bit. Now, for me, it was all about entertainment, but some of them actually believed that that was true. Mm -hmm. And she said she couldn't even go into the pool area anymore because she kept getting that same sense that you're talking about.
0: Yeah, Yeah. it is very haunted. And my dad always told me the story because my dad went through World War II and he always told me the story about the other ship that collided with the queen Mary and all those guys that died, you know, the, in the tip of the bow area, you know, and how there's there's hauntings back in there as well.
1: Wow. Yeah. That was an exciting time for me when I got asked to book the entertainment on the ship and that was via Disney. So um, I know we're not at Tinkerbell yet, but at one point in the eighties when I had started my, my company, Worldwide Acts Talent Agency, Disney had asked me if I could book performers for them. So that's how I ended up getting the Queen Mary and and booking a lot of their events with my variety entertainers. Well,
0: it's interesting to hear, you know, what you did outside of being Tinkerbell, because I mean, everybody automatically thinks you, you gave a lifetime to flying over the parks, but to hear what you did outside is just as fascinating. You know, like, like you say, booking the entertainment and then the government job you have now.
1: Yeah, it's, I think when I was a child, my mother stuck a book in my hand at the age of three. Uh-huh. And we were not allowed to, she believed in children going to bed. At least my parents did. I, I know there are many in that era that believe that children you know, they need to have their time to themselves and they would put us to bed at seven o'clock. It didn't it didn't matter if it was light outside. I mean, as we got a little older, they, you know, basically, you know, we were able to to stay outside a little bit longer. But we were put to bed at seven PM. And if it was light outside, what was I gonna do? I'm 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 awake, I'm not gonna sleep. So I would read and read and read. And I started to get into stories of people and and they would go on these adventures. And I'm like, that was another seed that was planted mm-hmm. in my youth that I wanted to live those stories. I didn't want to just read about it. I, I think I knew at a young age that I was going to do a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I, that's what I wanted for my life. I didn't want to be in a cookie cutter scenario. Right. So of course, when I was approached about circus, of course, it's like, you know, not just every kid's dream to go run away with circus or at least, you know, athletes think about it, right. but yeah, of course. Yes. I want to do this. And of course my parents were beside themselves, when I told him I wanted to to run away and join the circus. And my poor father, who was a nuclear physicist at Lockheed Martin, is like, well, we, we see that you're practicing in Bob Yerkes backyard. But we were praying and hoping that, that this wasn't going to happen. And, <laughs> and of course, my mother, who knew me well, is like, I know we're never going to be able to stop. Gina from doing this and she was right. You know, she, she came with me for my first audition to join a, a Shrine Circus Act and that was with the motorcycle that drives up the wire. Oh, wow. Doing oh. single trapeze and sliding, uh, sliding down a wire in a neck loop from the top of the girders of a building down. And, wow. and I, I'm not going to tell you I wasn't scared. That was a really, really scary act. So How
0: did you get past the fear?
1: You know, you don't really get past the fear. I think that if you do get past the fear, then you're in danger. Mm-hmm. I think it's very healthy to be afraid. Now, for myself, I'm always challenging myself. Uh, You know, I've I've been doing that my entire life. And I'm gonna mention my peers here because the gals that I grew up with, these are all straight A students and absolutely stunning women that are not only beautiful, but they're really smart. And I grew up with peers like that and I couldn't keep up. I was the nerd, I was the gymnast, they were the learners. They were the A students, they were the homecoming queen and cheerleaders, and I was the nerd who went off and did athletics. Okay. But I was raised with them from elementary school all the way through high school, and I couldn't keep up with them. Okay. So as a result, um, and by the way, I'm in touch with them now, we have our 50th reunion coming up for school. And we're not going to go. We're going to all get together. And I've been talking with them on the phone. We've been revisiting together. But I find myself being an overachiever Uh because of them. And I'm writing a memoir right now. And I'm going to dedicate it to these five, six women that I grew up with that made me this overachiever. Because I was always trying to better myself. I didn't want to just, I didn't care if I was in the limelight, because truthfully, I'm a recluse. I'm not really social. I don't like to be in big social atmospheres. Even when I booked talent, I was never really on the job. I was always the voice behind the phone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, there's a, I dedicate I dedicate some of what I've done in my life to them, all of them.
0: Now there's a big difference between 50 feet, you know, in the air on a tight rope and hundred and 150 feet in the air over in a amusement park.
1: Yes, now, <laughs> there is. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> no, you go ahead. I mean, this is, yeah. Go ahead and ask me that question.
0: How did you uh, deal with that every night? And I know there's, there's, there's photos of you I've seen, you know, that, that I have actually, that I got off your site where you're kind of standing there trying to, you know, build yourself up to, to make that jump. And how hard is that? You know, you're looking down at night, all, all the Disney lights are on and stuff, but you realize you're that high up on a pulley.
1: So as you've probably heard in many of my podcasts, talking about Tinkerbell only Mm -hmm. when I first when I first you know secured the job as Tinkerbell I had to practice in the day and I don't think I ever really realized it was you know 145 160 feet in the air Mm -hmm. um, until I got up there and I went wow So I had worked on trolleys before because the trolley is what carried me down the wire hanging by my neck in a neck loop when I first started, when I was Mm -hmm. barely 18. And so I was used to going from, you know, a hundred feet up into girders at the top of a building and sliding down by my neck. And that was pretty scary. But when I got into the Tinkerbell costume and I was getting ready for somebody to throw me off the Matterhorn and it was really scary and it was a healthy scare. You know, rightfully so. Yes, there you go. Um, and, you know, you see this photo um, at night with fireworks. But during the day, it's a whole different ballgame. Because you can see everything and you realize how high you are. And there's a part of you that really has to disassociate from being afraid and and praying that mechanically everything's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And as far as safety, I had the most fantastic crew this crew was checking and rechecking equipment. They were really good at their jobs. And of course we had OSHA on the premise. Mm -hmm. So they were always checking equipment as well. And please, you know, for your audience, please listen to some of my podcasts. Uh, There's seven or eight of them on there. And we really get into details about the flight and the scary and, you know, how did it work and wind readings and how did it feel? There's a lot of really great podcasts on my website at flyingtinkerbell.org. So I'm hoping your audience will visit those. And especially the last one, I got one of my crew guys to talk about his time on the crew. So you get to hear from not just Tinkerbell's side, but the crew side. And that's Bruce McGuire. We just did a podcast together and it's wonderful. Please, please listen to it.
0: I know when I was uh, there in February, I got stuck on the Matterhorn and they had to evacuate us out. And, you know, when I was reading the stuff on your website about how you got into the Matterhorn to get up the top, I I even rode the elevator. And we're not supposed to film on there, you know, because they don't want to let all the secrets out. But uh, it was interesting just because, because I thought of you, even though I didn't know you at the time, <laughs> you know, and I thought this is the way Tinkerbell goes up, you know, to, to jump off the Matterhorn. And I just thought it was unique because nobody expects the Matterhorn to have like the stairs and, 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 and the elevator and all that in there.
1: Yeah. It's, you know, you hear the stories of what, what is in, internal in the Matterhorn, mm-hmm. but it really is amazing. know when they built it it's just it looks like a giant attic Mm -hmm. and yes there's a basketball court up there there's a hoop that was installed up there because it kind of looks like a basketball court Mm -hmm. but yeah it's um the first time i went up it's i think it's five flights up in the elevator and then you come out and then you walk up these these large stairs um two sets of large stairs. I don't know how many steps there are. I didn't get into the detail at the time, but at least 20 steps apiece. And then you get into a ladder that is hung, uh, a metal ladder that is hung and attached to get up to the hatch. And that's about six or seven steps to get up to the hatch. So there has been times when the elevator broke And we have actually had to walk through the Matterhorn. I don't remember which, how we did it, but my crew was fabulous at that. Mm -hmm. And they had their flashlights with them and we had to physically walk through the Matterhorn in order to get up there because the elevator was broken. I think it happened two times, two or three times in 22 years.
0: Hmm. Now, before you would launch, obviously the, the, they, they hooked you into a harness. The harness was underneath your outfit, right?
1: Oh, yes. The, the harness, um, it was, it's kind of hard to explain. The harness had uh, two different adjustments over the years. Um, there was the straps. In fact, oh, you can see it there. Okay. Yes. So what they finally did after... I think 12 years, they decided to put the costume on over the harness. Now, I didn't like that because I worked really hard to keep my small figure. And in that last photo that Joshua put up on our site, I hate that photo because I look like I'm gargantua. I said, Joshua, why did you put that photo up? I look like I'm You know, I weigh about 190 pounds. And he said, well, you have the harness underneath. I'm like, okay. But, yeah, I was very self-conscious about that photo. So when they had the harness outside of the costume, I felt like I still had my little Tinkerbell figure. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, it would pull my waist in. So I'm glad that you showed that photo. um, Because I worked very hard to keep in shape and make sure that i looked the part up there. And of course I was an athlete my whole life. So that wasn't too hard for me to do, but important for me to do.
0: And then not to mention that you had to be a certain weight for that unit too. I mean, they didn't want anybody real heavy.
1: Well, when they first, when Stan Fries first hired me, it was so embarrassing. I went in there and my ex-husband was with me on on my very first interview with Stan Fries. And we went to his office and I was told to bring a pair of leotard and tights. And I don't know if you know this, but the circus performers wear those fishnet tights, they're tan in color. So I brought my fishnet tights and, um, and a leotard with me. And sure enough, he asked me to change into it. And that's because they wanted to make sure that I represented the Tinkerbell figure. Uh And at the time, right before I knew I was going to have to do the interview, I think I was at 119 pounds and I was so scared that I wasn't going to get the job because I was too big that I got all the way down to 112. I mean, I was really tiny, tiny, Uh tiny. So when he asked me to put that on, I knew, um, and my figure was like 24, uh, like 34, 24, 34. I had a perfect figure at the time. And, you know, I, I was embarrassed, though, to be in his office. And Stan, I believe, is writing a book right now, and hopefully he listens to this. And so I was very embarrassed and really glad my ex-husband was there, and i so I changed quickly back into my clothes because I was so embarrassed to come out there and show him my figure. So yeah, that's, that's how that uh, interview went because of course they weren't going to be able to audition me by flying. Right. So he auditioned me and I brought in a book of all of my circus pictures, mm-hmm. which is, you know, two inches thick. Mm-hmm. And um, so... That has, you know, my whole history of of circus in there.
0: Now the outfits they had you in too, they were always trying to improve on the outfits. And I remember flipping through your website and and the one with all the mirrors at first, you know, not knowing what I was looking at, my first thought was pebbles. When when they got all the mirrors on there, you know, for your outfit. But I know that they, they had several different outfits for you, like the neon ones and all that. Did they all fit the same or were they, were they tailored for you or, or did, were they just general costumes?
1: Yes, we would, we would. Uh, it's so funny. Cause Disney, Dan did a, did a reel of all the history of Tinkerbells and he was making fun of my costumes looking like disco Tinkerbell, <laughs> but I never thought of it like that. I thought it was hilarious. So yes, they had us come in and we would go in and, uh, the wardrobe department had uh, specific people that would measure us and fit us to our costumes. And of course, when they finally got to using the harness underneath yeah, that is my favorite picture. I love the led lights. Um, it was a lot of work to use the led lights. So, you see the the picture of the lit-up wings and the lit-up costume and the hair. So picture this. You see that. And I literally had wires running down my arms. My shoes lit up. My hair lit up. The wings lit up. The costume lit up. And I had a red button in my hand. So what I would have to do as well as the wand lit up what i would have to do is get ready to not only fly but i had to remember that the minute i was to leave the matterhorn to fly i had to click that button to make sure everything lit up and i used to make a joke that i was basically the christmas tree (laughs) so (laughs) i was the one who said they everybody would get excited and go okay, let's, you know, put all the lights up and I'm gonna be the one to plug it in. Well, I had to make sure I had to push that button or I was not gonna light up. And so on top of worrying about being graceful and I hope really hope this looks good and get myself into a whole tinkerbell mode, uh-huh. I had to think about the mechanics as well. Uh-huh.
0: Absolutely. Um, this crash landing you had to do was famous as well. And, um, I don't know where they land now, you know, because I was, like I said, I was just there in February and that, you know, they have that route around the castle, which is kind of cool when, when they fly. But as far as what you did, you, you had to go pretty much head first into a mattress, right?
1: Well, it was only head first. If you, if you hadn't been a circus performer and you weren't sure how to turn, but, of course, as an aerialist and having uh, flown on the trapeze, mm-hmm. there was a movement that you would do where you would get, you know, 10 feet from, from landing. And you would turn your shoulder so that you could make sure that you didn't hurt the wings or anything, any other part of the costume as well as make it very easy for the gentlemen that were holding the mattress to catch it. Mm-hmm.
0: And that, what was the flight was like 30 seconds,
1: right? No, actually, the perfect flight was 24 seconds. Okay. They wanted that flight to not be less than 24 Mm -hmm. and not more than 28 seconds. Now, there was times when that went awry, and I did state that on another podcast that There there was a tailwind, and there was the trolley had been adjusted the night before because of a, a very strong headwind, mm-hmm. and they had to loosen up the trolley and the brakes so that I could make it through um, an 18-mile-an-hour wind. But the next day, the brakes were not set back, and I flew in at 18 seconds and knocked the crew down. Wow. Yeah, so... Well, so, there, was, yeah. there
0: must be a lot of momentum. I mean, because it is kind of on a, down, a downhill slope too, you know, so there must have been a lot of momentum that you had for the landing.
1: Yeah, there was momentum. They had it. Um, I actually brought a crew of engineers up there because there was a deficiency in the wire it, it, one year before they put the counterweight ups. Uh, it it was dipping with the heat.
0: Okay.
1: So, so when the wire started dipping, I realized that we were going to have to do something to keep the wire taut. And I went up there with the engineers and sure enough, they, they put up a counterweight. And so the, the wire wasn't, it didn't slope, you know, on, on a degree angle. It, you know, it was pretty steady, straight. I mean, it had to have an angle in order for me to fly, obviously. Right. right. But wow. it wasn't a drastic angle.
0: Um, when we think about this and, 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 and think about you doing that, but was that an all year job or was it seasonal or how'd that work?
1: Well, in the beginning in 1983, when I started, it was only, it only started when the kids got out of school, right around June, uh, after 4th of July. Well, actually, before 4th of July, because I always flew for 4th of July. Mm -hmm. So right at the beginning of June, I would start flying on the weekends. Um, No, actually, no, I started full time. It was every single day starting in June. I think Mm -hmm. end of May, beginning of June. And then it would only last um, for the first few years. I would stop flying when they went back to school, which was like September between uh, the 6th and the 9th. Mm-hmm. So it was seasonal and it, it stayed like that for a few years. And then they started backing it up and we started working on weekends in April mm-hmm. and May, and then they backed it up more. And then we started on weekends even earlier. I mean, it started backing up so far that we started doing weekends in january wow yeah so it, it turned into um much more work than it was in the beginning which was great i mean i i love the job sure um, i think if you had heard uh from some of the podcasts i mm-hmm. was pregnant flying twice <laughs> Only <laughs> really up to four months, but um, I brought my kids to the park when they turned like five and seven. Mm-hmm. We started. I started bringing them to work with me a lot. What did,
0: they, what did your kids think? I mean, did they realize it was you up there? Or did they think it was to, you know just actually t- Tinkerbell or what?
1: Well, my kids, I brought a sitter with me and they would go, we'd go have fun in the park before I had to go put makeup on. I'd get there, you know, a little bit early and we'd go play around. But my kids, of course, you know, when when you've been brought up like that, they just, they don't think it's a big deal, except when they would stand down in the crowd and watch me fly Mm -hmm. and they would point up to me and the sit, you know, they'd be with their sitters and they say, "Oh, that's my mom." And anybody around them that would hear that were like, "What do you mean that's your mom?" And so they started wanting to get their autographs and take pictures of my children. Um, it it actually was kind of silly, and I finally, you know, put an end to that. But. Um, yeah. I mean, that people, the audience was, if they heard that, they were like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> so yeah, I mean, the kids loved the fact that they got to play at Disneyland two or three times a week. And uh, I, I hated leaving my children and having right. a job at night. So I just thought, well, this is the best thing. I'll just take them with me. So that Absolutely. was great. They were raised <laughs> at Disneyland the
0: view must have been tremendous I mean you' you're flying across and, and you got the fireworks going off you know and you're lit up but but looking down on the park as you went along with the fireworks going off must have been pretty pretty cool.
1: Oh yeah I mean the fireworks were spectacular. People try to invite me to go see fireworks now and I'm like wait a minute i I flew with fireworks for 22 years it's it's not as exciting as it would be you know, for anyone else, but um, yes, of course. Now the fireworks were very far from me. So in relationship to the Matterhorn versus where they shot the fireworks off, Uh um, it was, it was a distance, you know, I wasn't anywhere close to it. So, you know, they would, I can't, I wish I could figure out how many feet it was, but it wasn't feet. Right. It w- would have been more like two blocks away from me. Okay. Um, so yeah, it was um, far away, but it, of course the whole crew over there, um, really nice folks in the, in the department. Um, they used to come visit me sometimes after I would land. So um, yeah, it was great. I mean, everybody that worked there, my crew, the wardrobe people, everyone that worked with me is, was just so wonderful.
0: Now, when you were flying, did did did, did Tinkerbell land at the castle, or did you bypass the castle for somewhere else?
1: Yes, it flew by the castle.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, kind of, it kind of looked like I was going over it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But yes, you could you could see that I was flying by it.
0: Very interesting. Um, I remember as a kid, I'm not going to say how old I am because it's embarrassing, but I think people will figure it out. Your predecessor, Judy Kay did, did, did it for quite a few years oh. as well. And I remember going with my family. You know, when my dad always made it a point every Easter week that I was off where we would go. And I remember seeing Tinkerbell back then, and that was Judy Kaye. And then after I graduated high school in 83, I got to see you because I, I, I would go once or twice a year. You know, so I got to see you fly. So I've seen two tanks two, two, two flying, as they say, and it, it, I was kind of disappointed. I, I went in February this year, and I was kind of disappointed because I thought, oh, good, I'm going to see Tinkerbell Bell because I got the new, you know, this new fireworks thing. And not to take anything away from like the Blue Fairy, but there's just something magical, especially with the route that they take the you know the flight now around the castle. There's just something magical about that because like you look at the Disney TV show. And right away, Tinkerbell is, is going through the castle and being, you know, the, all the fireworks go off. So I was kind of bummed because I really wanted to see Tink.
1: Yeah, there is always, over the years, as an example, the Electric Light Parade has mm-hmm. always been a favorite of Disney mm-hmm. fans. And there was a couple of years there. I mean, pretty much the whole time I was there, mm-hmm. I think if there was a few, you could ask Joshua, but there's a few years where they took the light parade out because they were redoing the bulbs. Mm-hmm. But they would get hundreds and hundreds of letters from fans to please put it back. And it was no different with Tinkerbell. Apparently for the seven years that between Judy Kay and when I did it, they had hundreds and hundreds of letters saying, when is Tinkerbell coming back? Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the favorite parts of, of being chosen for this job was the fact that everybody was the fans were so looking forward to Tinkerbell flying again. So it was not only exciting to, of course, you know, get this job, but the fact that there was thousands of people that were just waiting for her to fly again. Mm-hmm. And I, it was such an honor to be chosen.
0: Well, I have a couple more questions about Tinkerbell. Then we're going to shift into your after Tinkerbell life because you've had an incredible life following, you know, your career as Tink as well. When they launched you off and then I don't know if people realize how it worked because you just didn't simply step off the Matterhorn. You had somebody literally shove you off, right?
1: Yeah. Literally they would grab my feet. I would stiffen up my legs really hard so that they had, um, you know, a way to, to, send me off but yes they would literally there there was a countdown and over the mic there was a okay. countdown and they would just shove me off whether i wanted to go or not this was happening <laughs> so yes
0: it's fat the whole thing's fascinating because you think with disney you know because disney has all that money and technology that they use that they would find a simpler way to do that, you know, but, but they didn't, I mean, it was just all basic.
1: Yeah, it was, it was very basic and, you know, it was my thought over the years that they definitely needed to bring the technology forward. So when they finally realized in the year 2000, that they were going to need to do something with the show you know, they that was the five years that they spent trying to figure out what they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So when they came to me and it was getting time for them to open up the new show with her flying around the castle and going back and forth, um, uh, they asked me if I wanted to come back. And I said, absolutely not. I said, I have had the most wonderful run And I actually was the the person who trained the new girls. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Interesting. So you um, will shift out of Tink now because I really want to interview you about your other stuff. So after Tink, is that when you started the talent agency or um, was that before?
1: No, I started the talent agency. uh, I realized as a stay-at-home mom, Mm -hmm. um, I did not want to work and be away from my children. Mm -hmm. So over the years I had, there was another seed planted when I was, I was actually a magician's assistant for many, many years. And I met a gentleman who had booked, um, he used to be Rosemary Clooney's um, talent booking agent way, way back in the eighties. And I met Bill Loeb. He's passed away since, but I met Bill Lowe. He booked this magic act I was in with Dirk Arthur. And Dirk Arthur is still in Las Vegas. He's not performing right now, but I was working with him. And Bill and I started talking and I was asking him, I knew he was an agent and I just kept asking him what it takes to become a talent agent. I always had an affinity For very talented people. Didn't matter what they did. If they had talent, I recognized it. I was pretty good at it. Mm -hmm. So long story short, it's something I ran with the ball and I became a licensed talent agent. I owned a Screen Actors Guild franchise for a short amount of time. Um, I I loved booking the variety entertainers. Mm -hmm. Booking the actors and actresses was less my thing. Then I got into booking comics and that was a blast. But uh, again, I booked all kinds of interesting people, fire eaters and sword swallowers and stilt walkers and circus performers and bands and MCs. So it really was truly a variety talent agency. So that was the first thing that and I Disney, did.
0: And Disney hired your agency to do stuff for them, right?
1: Back in the nineties, they Found out that I had a variety talent agency, and there I was approached by the talent resource uh, division, and they said, "Gina, why are you not booking talent for us?" And I said, "Well, I didn't realize you had any interest." Uh-huh. So, long story short, I started booking uh, a lot of variety talent for them, and one one of the shows I or a couple of shows I booked. One that stands out to mind is when they opened up Indiana Jones. Um, For the media event, I booked um, stilt walkers and globe walkers, fire eaters, sword swallowers, um, you know, for the theme of Indiana Jones. Uh Uh And and that was so much fun. That's when I did actually participate and go and help the performers, um, you know, get them positioned and show positioned and yeah, that was a blast. And then Robin Williams, when he did his second Aladdin film, they had a big, huge Disney corporate event. And I booked 30 different performers for, um, for the opening of Aladdin as well as belly dancers for, um, for television to, you know, for promotion. Uh So yeah, I've had some really fun, uh, Fun jobs with Disney. I booked a Queen Mary event, as I stated, uh, with 30 different psychics. And one time I booked an event with Queen and I booked all of these different variety performers for the innuendo album. And that was a blast. I bet. Yeah, so a, a huge advantage when they came and asked me um it was very exciting um of course i was raising my children that was my most important job so i did everything from home i worked from home and if i had to be on property i would go but most of the time i just stayed home it was the voice behind the phone Mm -hmm.
0: so what um when did you start this this current job that you have then how did that work? Is that after you retired from flying or, uh, you know, right away
1: to so come after it? I closed the, the agency when I decided. So my daughter, let's see, she was going to college. Um, I was raised, um, I'm a Valley girl. Mm-hmm. I was raised in the San Fernando Valley and there's college out there called Pierce College. And my daughter was going to community college first before she went to um, uh, California State University, and I went with her to drop her off at school one day in 2003. I was still flying as Tinkerbell, but when I dropped her off from school, I decided to go into the counselor's office and inquire about returning to school. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I don't know, I'm in my 30s, I believe, and You know, I went to the council. They said, what do you want to take? And I said, well, I have a a profound interest in physical geography. And I also have an interest in sociology, which I really was focused on in in high school. Mm -hmm. In fact, sociology is where I thought I was going to go. And I did a lot of work with autistic children while I was doing that in high school. So I said, okay, let's let's sign me up for some sociology classes and physical geography. So I went over to the physical geography class and I'll never forget. The professor says, okay, how long has it been since you've been in school? Because he was talking to all the students on the first two days. And I said, well, I don't know, many years, 20 years. He said, okay no holds barred, I'm a very difficult professor. And he said, are you sure you want to take this class as one of your first classes back to college? He goes, I'll tell you what, sit in the front row and I want you to audit my class. I'm like, okay. Next thing I know, three days later, I'm approaching him going, this is fantastic. And he was an amazing professor. I knew I was going to learn a lot. So I stayed in the physical geography class. I did very well. And that's what piqued my interest, I believe, to going into. I had met somebody right about that time that was doing FEMA housing inspection. And he said, Gina, you know, do you have. You're taking geography. Do you like to travel? And I said, Oh, yeah, of course, I love to travel. Because I traveled. Up and down the coast with Ringling Brothers, mm-hmm. um, East and West Coasts. I said, "Oh, absolutely." I said, "Once my children are, you know, grown and out of the house, I definitely have interests." So, long story short, when Katrina hit in 2005, I had already been taking all the classes from Parsons Brinkerhoff, and I got called out for my first job at Katrina.
0: Wow. And what was that like going out there and viewing the, that, that that kind of devastation?
1: Well, you have to, not unlike joining the circus and, and not having anything to do with being born into it, it's right. the same thing. All of a sudden, I'm crossing into a world I have no idea what I'm in for. You know, I've taken this classes with, with Parsons and Bergerhoff, and you know, I I go to Houston to get ready to be deployed there, and they hand me this computer and go here. And I'm like, what do I do with this? And they said, okay, well, we have, you know, we've taking the classes, but, you know, we'll get you some help. So not only was it this horrific mess, but here I am. I don't know much about construction. Mm-hmm and i'm not only not no pun intended i'm not only leaping into a brand new vocation Mm -hmm. but in every which way i've now become this disaster recovery worker that has no idea what they're doing and i have to learn everything about building a house once again i got fortunate i met someone who was the most amazing trainer, and I learned how to build a house and put it into a computer and do intake with people that literally lost everything, oh. and I fell in love with the profession that week. I mean, I knew that this was something that was that I was going to love.
0: Well you know you're helping people doing it, and that's what's important if you if you give a little of yourself to help people that's what life's about, isn't it?
1: Well, it certainly was for for the way I grew up. My mother was always helping folks. My mother was all about charity. my mom was helping the homeless and she was working with hospice and and she was working on hotlines and I got pulled into that world. I started working on hotlines and I started helping folks and and the homeless and going to the food shelters. So I grew up with that mentality. So it was already there. That seed was there from the day I was born. And so fortunate to have these parents that my dad was brilliant. You know, of course he was the engineer. And my mom was just this amazing charitable woman and so, so fortunate to grow up in the house I did and, and parents that I had. Um, yeah, well, you know, I mean, it was there already.
0: People that, want, that, 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 that might wanna get into your line of work. Excuse me? What do you have to say to people that might want to get into like your, your line of work, like with FEMA and stuff like that?
1: Um, over the years, um, so now it's, I'm in my 18th year and I have traveled to 40 States, Uh helping folks recover from disasters. And I have run into many, many folks that wanted to get into the business. Uh So. The only thing I can say is, you know, as with any type of vocation, it it has many, many changes over the years. I think if you want to start in disaster recovery, Uh I believe that you should start out being a volunteer and see if you like it, because I really think it's a niche that you're either going to love or you're not going to love. You have to have an affinity for helping others. Uh Um, My job has become extremely technical. I actually took my college and I expanded into deciding to get my bachelor's degree in emergency management. And I realized because I love disaster recovery so much that I was going to go ahead and further my education and I received my bachelor's degree in 2015. And then I actually continued it and went to USC and took geospatial intelligence. And I work for a fabulous firm, it's Jacobs Engineering. It's global, it's a global engineering company and it's just, it's a wonderful company to work for. I'm so grateful that that, uh, I am there performing my duties as disaster recovery.
0: You have led such an incredible life. It's impre- It's so impressive, you know, because I mean, from, 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 from your beginnings, you know, with your family and then going to circus life and all that, and then up to this job that you have now. When you were young and you were, everybody's a dreamer when they're young. Did you ever dream your life was going to be like this?
1: I had premonitions, um, what you would call premonitions. What I call maybe are just a correlation, be- because of the scientific part of me. Right. Um, I had this thing where I would get up in the middle of the night, like you know, any person, any human that has a bodily function in the middle of the night, uh-huh. and I would see these lions and tigers on the wall. In fact, I was terrified to go go use the restroom because I would keep seeing these tigers and lions trying to lash out at me. And that was a little bit strange, I thought. Uh, You know, if you want to call that a premonition, you can because I'm a young child that started about the age of... I had a lot of nightmares for some reason when I was younger. and, And then I had this going on and Maybe it was a circus premonition. I'm not really sure, but um, yeah, I'm looking at my notes here to talk to you about some of that. And actually, what I, what I think might be fun for your audience, but harrowing for me to discuss, my mother had a thing for reading tea leaves. To really? She loved reading tea leaves. We didn't really know. She really knew how, but she loved doing it. Um, My parents were not super, super religious. Um, My father, of course, was of the science mind. I grew up with that. So I thought it was fun that my mom was in tea leaves. But one one story that stands out, and I think... I don't not really sure when I heard this. I think I was in my late twenties or thirties. I remember walking with my mom. We used to do a lot of walking and we started to I, or maybe I was booking psychics at the time. I was booking a lot of psychics and she said, you know, I've never told you this story, but when your father was alive we went to this party. She my mom was really into dinner parties and my mom was very social, I didn't get that from her because I'm not social. Um, She said that there was a psychic there that was doing tarot cards, reading tarot cards. And when she flipped all the cards over, I believe that the death card had come out. Wow. And she stopped doing the reading and she just looked right at my mother and said, are you sure you want me to proceed? And my mom said, well, you're kind of scaring me. Maybe you want to tell me later. Uh-huh. She came to find out that the gal knew that somebody was going to pass away. And it was going to be shortly. Six months later, my father had a heart attack. And I get chills thinking about it. Um, it's, what do I think about it? Like I said, I'm still a science mind and my father had uh, had some problems. He was on a restrictive salt diet. He had high blood pressure. Um, his job was very difficult at Lockheed Martin. He was in a managerial position and it was uh, he was a nuclear physicist, so he had a very very difficult job, and I believe he died of stress. But she she had that reading, hmm. and there is one other story that your, I think your audience is going to want to hear, and it has to do with when I was a circus performer, and it has to do with my father. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm sitting in. The girders were were waiting to do. This is Shrine Circus. It's one of the first shows I ever joined as a circus performer, and I'm in Texas and I'm sitting in the girders, and I'm waiting for um, a show meeting. As we we're putting the show together, it was a Shrine Circus, and I'm sitting in the in the bleachers with a gal. I didn't really know her. Uh, her name was Wanda Ward, and we started talking, and we were just chatting, waiting for this. Uh, I was In fact, I was watching Philippe Petit practice walking the high wire. I remember he was on the show. And um, for those of you that don't know who Philippe Petit is, he's a very, very famous high wire walker who's still alive to this day. I think he walked between the trade towers. So... I'm sitting in these bleachers and somebody walks in, a messenger walks in, and they said, hey, do you know who, where Gina is? And I'm not gonna mention my last name at the time. Right. And I said, I'm Gina. And he hands me an envelope and there's like a yellow piece of paper inside this envelope and, it, and Wanda goes, she stopped me from opening. She pulled my wrist and she goes, Gina, don't open this. And I said, why? She goes, I'll tell you later. But she said, I want you to walk up those stairs and use the phone because there's no cell phones. This is back in the 70s. -hmm. I want you to walk up the stairs and I want you to call home. And I said, well, do you know what's in this envelope? She goes, no, I don't know what's in the envelope, but I want you to walk up those stairs and I want you to call your mother. And I'm like, Okay, so sure enough, I walk up the stairs. I'm opening the envelope and it says, please call home immediately. And it was my mother telling me that my father had a massive heart attack. I came to find out later, Wanda told me, and I'm getting the chills just thinking about it. I was the third person for this shrine circus to be handed an envelope to be told that a parent had died wow. and circus performers believe that everything happens in threes. I was the third one three years in a row to get that news. And she told me she knew before I even, even opened the envelope that that's what had happened.
0: There's a question I've been thinking about is you are a circus performer You did the aerial stuff for Tinkerbell and all this. How does one go from the excitement of working as a circus performer to what you're doing now and making that shift?
1: Everything about disaster recovery is exciting because I'll give you an example. When I was a disaster housing inspector, I would literally go to these homes that were surrounded by flood water. I'd have these flood boots on and I would have to go into these houses, um, you know. So hopefully the water wasn't too deep because you know they restricted us at some point for not entering homes when it was too deep. But I would enter these homes that were completely wiped out. They had mud all over the place. I was doing an intake on just massive amounts of messes inside these homes. Insulation all over the place. Um, it's not that it was exciting. I think there was something about the genetics I was handed from my father, where over the years, I kept getting like this little tap, like, Tina, you need to go back to school. You need to go back to school. You know, there's, it's almost as if, if I'm running into your world with the whole premonition. Mm-hmm. Thing. Mm-hmm. It was meant to be for me to use those genetics somewhere in my body to start using my brain and not my body. That's the only way I can put it. And it still was very physically challenging to be inspecting homes and running around the country, like I stated, 33, 33 deployments to okay. flooded and and wiped out homes due to tornadoes or whatever it was. But it was physically challenging and I had to stay in shape. So, but most of all, it was all about helping people. It wasn't just using my brain. It was all about, I would be able to walk out of a home knowing that I was gonna get people some monetary help. And it was also, grueling for them because psychologically they needed somebody to talk to Mm -hmm. and i was always willing to listen and i felt like i was really helping and even to this day i I used to do individual assistance and inspect homes but now i work in public assistance Mm -hmm. and i help um large entities you know try to get help you know such as like for COVID and uncoded claims that they had and large entities, I worked with local, state and tribal and nonprofits. So no matter what I've been doing with my job um, for disaster recovery, it's not that it's exciting, it's a challenge. Mm -hmm. And challenge has always been a key word in my life. Like I stated, you know, all the way back to when I was growing up with, with people I couldn't keep up with as far as okay. education, but proving to myself later that I could.
0: Fantastic. Gina, I want to thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, I this was so much fun to just talk about everything. And thank you so much. I realized that, you know, it's not about haunts and you know psychic and but at least i had a little piece of me that they got to work with psychics and i want to thank you so much for being open to having a discussion about something different
0: yeah no problem yeah no problem at all it's fascinating to see you know like any performer really you know once they get out of that performing mode to, 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 to see what their interests are because you guys are human like anybody else you know and uh Yeah, it's just fascinating to me.
1: Well, thank you so much. And I really hope that your listeners enjoy this. Mm -hmm. Please go to my website at flyingtinkerbell.org. Joshua Schaefer, wonderful, wonderful man. He is my public relations manager and he built the website and he has done amazing, an amazing job. And I just want to thank your, your audience for allowing me to, to listen to something different. Thank you so much.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on. You have a great rest of your weekend and all that stuff, but I I just so appreciate it. Thank you.
1: All right. Thank you. Anytime.
0: Bye. All right. Have a good one. All right. That was Gina Rock. Um, and we've got a lot of history with her, not only as Tinkerbell, but you know, her other half of her life, which is something I wanted to cover because not every interviewer does that with her. And so I really wanted to get into that. You know, there's always somebody be, be behind the facade, as they say. So I will see you guys tomorrow at six thirty PM Pacific. Uh, this is a, of course a pre-recorded show. So I don't know who the guest is going to be following it, but if you want to catch this show, we're going to be doing it on our Patreon site. It's going to go two weeks before the actual air date. So you guys get a uh, first look at it. Uh, but uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did so again if you're watching from facebook uh, and you haven't done so already please hit that follow button and uh, that'll alert you when we have new videos coming out and and for upcoming stuff and of course if you're on youtube and you haven't done so yet please hit that subscribe button and uh, that that will also alert you plus it helps me with the uh, algorithm and stuff and speaking of the algorithm if you like what you heard tonight uh please be sure to hit the like buttons and the thumbs up and the hearts and all that good stuff because that puts me higher in the algorithm and things, you know, things snowball from there. But again, I want to thank Gina for coming on. And I, I just totally am. And and just in awe of her for her, for this career she's had, not only as Tinkerbell, but the after stuff. So, um, I will see you guys tomorrow, 6 30 PM Pacific. Uh, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies, of course, for equal opportunity here at California haunts radio. But uh, again, I will see you tomorrow at 6.30 and have a great rest of your evening.